0: I am pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I'm so glad you're here. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. This is another message in the series Life on Mission. We are going through the book of Acts together, uh, very, very specifically trying to recover something of what they had. And we're learning that the only way to have what they had is to do what they did. And this morning we have an amazing example from a man named Ananias in the story of the conversion of Saul. So turn to Acts chapter 9, and and let's look together. This past week in Kentucky, uh, the General Assembly uh, amended what's called the Safe Haven Law. Did y'all follow this story? Because it involves us. It's really kind of interesting. Now, as long as I've been alive. I've I've always thought it was kind of a thing where if you had a baby that you wanted to leave, you left it at the church doorstep. I mean, they did that on the Three Stooges, then they did that on TV shows and, and all my life. I just thought that's what you did. But apparently that's not always been necessarily legal in Kentucky just to leave a baby at the church. Uh, You could leave a baby at the hospital in Kentucky. You could leave a baby at a fire station or police station. Uh, But this past week, the Kentucky General Assembly expanded the safe haven law so that you can now leave a baby at a church. Um, Not your husband, but your baby, Uh, uh, okay? the idea, of course, is to cut down on the number of abandoned and unwanted children in the state of Kentucky, and it's devastating to think that that is uh, such a problem, but it is a problem, and now babies can be left at churches that post a sign and have an office that is staffed. You have to put the baby in the arms of a person who is willing and ready to receive it. And churches apparently are now trusted in the state of Kentucky to come through. I think that's beautiful and amazing. And it reminds me of the story in Scripture this morning for the simple reason that we often talk about salvation uh, in terms of being born again. And we recognize that Jesus and Jesus alone is able to make a new creation. He's able to make it so that someone who has lived a, an entire life can be spiritually born again. So we can talk about of uh, being born again, new birth. We talk about spiritual infants and, and, and all of that. But what you need to understand is that from the very beginning, uh, God and God alone can, can make a new birth. God and God alone can cause one to be born again. But, but once God does that, he always, always brings that baby to the door of the church. And this is what you see happening in Acts chapter 9. Saul, a man named Saul, is going to be the, the, the new birth, the new creation. But you'll notice very, very quickly that uh, God begins to bring him to the door of the church. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read together. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. Interestingly, it seems like in the book of Acts, but before they were called anything else, the followers of Jesus were called the way. And that's what it says here. They were coming to arrest any followers of the way that Saul found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, there is a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. absolutely amazing. These first verses, verses 1, 2, that they talk about The old Saul, the the, the pre-conversion Saul, That this is the man that Saul was. Now pay attention because I think it's really, really interesting. You notice first off that Saul is is a passionate man. He's he's, he's motivated. Now he's a Jewish man, a a Jewish leader, one of the Pharisees we know, which means that in his day he was considered uh, one of the most religious, one of the most respectable kinds of men that you could be, and that was Saul. He excelled in everything and a especially religion. So don't miss the fact that he's very, very motivated, very, very zealous for his religion. That's, that's, Saul. But, but notice beyond that, he, he's motivated to the point uh, of now going out and trying to squash this entire movement that is related to Jesus who was crucified. Now, all of this is in anybody's memory. Understand, these, these events aren't long after Jesus himself uh, was crucified and ascended into heaven. Everybody knows who Jesus is. And Saul is trying to squash this early. He's trying to stop those who are preaching this, what he considers a fall. Teaching in the name of this crucified man Jesus. So Saul is so determined to silence the, the, the believers, silence followers of what he called the way, that he's willing to travel. So he's motivated, but he's also very, very mobile. And in his day, that would be something of amazing. But, but Saul is not afraid to just hit the road. So he hits the road. Damascus is something like 120 miles from Jerusalem, which would probably something like a, a five or six days journey on foot. So Saul is a man who'll do that. I mean, he ain't got nothing better than to do than to just take off walking to Damascus with papers just so he can find a group of Christians there and arrest them. His goal is to bring them back in chains. You see, so he is very motivated. He's very mobile. He'll he'll travel. And you'll actually notice the word because I think it's just kind of uh, amazing that the scripture actually says in verse three, he was approaching Damascus on this, what's the word? mission so he's missional motivated and 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 mobile it's kind of amazing this guy is going to make an amazing missionary i mean do you see that already he has everything in him that is going to make him it's like he is handcrafted by god's own hand to, to be the missionary to take the gospel to the gentiles do you see that can you see that Even before the Lord knocks him off his horse, he is the guy. I mean, you can see that, can't you? Because if you can see that, nobody else could. you got to understand that. You know the Apostle Paul. You know that he wrote entire books of the New Testament. You know this story. You knew before he fell off his horse that God was going to knock him off his horse. You knew that. You saw that coming. You knew that God would blind him. You knew that God would lift him up. You know what Saul's name is going to be changed to Paul. You know this. You can see this coming. But you got to understand, nobody else sees this coming. Nobody sees this coming. He is going to be a perfect missionary. He doesn't see that. Nobody sees that but God. God sees that. God sees it. So Saul is approaching Damascus on this mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anybody. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Man, that's going to be a good testimony one day, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be a good testimony. It's going to be awesome. He's going to travel. He's going to tell people this story, and, and it's going to be amazing. I, I mean, I, I guess I have testimony envy sometimes. Just kind of grew up in a Baptist church, and, and I don't have this kind of testimony. Uh, I've pretty much been a good church kid my whole life. It doesn't mean I'm not a sinner. It, it just means that I, 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 you know, I never you know, traveled and put anybody in chains. Um, I don't really have one of those sex, drugs, and rock and roll testimonies. You may not either, or, or perhaps you do. I, I guess what I'm saying is that it doesn't always happen just like this. This is the way Jesus has shown himself to Saul, but it's not necessarily the way that Jesus has shown himself to you or, or to me, or, or maybe the way he's going to show himself to you here pretty soon. It's, not everybody gets saved this way. There's not always a light. There's not always this, this amazing drama. There's just not always blindness and, 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 and this kind of activity. It's not like this at all. As a matter of fact, when Jesus calls somebody, when Jesus shows himself to somebody, it's, it's personal. He knows you as well as he knew Saul. And he knew exactly what he was going to have to do in order to bring faith out of Saul. And he knew what he was going to have to do to bring faith out of you. It's just personal. personal. It's, it's always personal. And apparently there's more than even what we see right here, because you'll notice that a few verses down in, in verse 11, when the Lord is talking to Ananias, he says that Saul's still praying and apparently the Lord was still dealing with Saul. And, and we don't have that part of the story, but you'll see that he had another vision in verse 12. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him. So, I mean, it just continued with vision after vision in and, and Saul's blindness and, and, and not eating, not drinking. I mean, it's, it's an amazing, story, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen that way for you. It, it, it might. And I'm not saying that, that your testimony won't be dramatic and exciting. It always is. It, it doesn't matter where you come from. It's just that when the Lord finds you, he takes you from where you are. And then he begins to make you into something you've never really imagined yourself being. It's why we call it Conversion there's a change. Now, it doesn't always happen the same way when Jesus saves us, but I'm telling you, once he saves you, there is after that always a process, and that's the same for every one of us. There's always this process of growth. Remember, I I said that salvation is like a new birth. It's being born again. So, once Jesus saves you, you're like an infant, Even though you may be a 50-year-old man or or a six-year-old woman or or whatever, still spiritually now you've been born again. You're brand new. And so there is a, a process that follows from that. And that process may be different as well, but at the same time, there are certain features that are pretty much always the same. The Holy Spirit takes control of our lives and begins to change us from the inside out. There's a spiritual growth that begins, that's going to continue throughout your entire life. You're never going to reach a point where you stop growing. You won't stop growing until you are made perfectly in the image of Jesus. And I'm just saying, not any of us are all that close yet. We've got some growing to do. We are all somewhere along that process. It's a process of salvation. It's a process of what we call sanctification, being made holy, being made perfect, being made completely in the image of Jesus. That's what happens next, understand? And that's what's going to happen to Saul. His salvation is dramatic and instantaneous when Jesus reaches down and saves him. But, but after that, there is a lifelong process of following Jesus, a lifelong process of growth. And, and if you have become a Christian, you are now on that lifelong process of transformation. It's It's changed. You're becoming somebody new. You're becoming a brand new person. For Saul, his name becomes Paul. And in a few years, you won't even recognize this as the same man. It's a total transformation. Now, I didn't get saved exactly like you got saved. Jesus saved me just like he saved you. But now we're in a similar sort of process of transformation. It's just called the Christian life. Now, what you need to know is Jesus saves us all by himself. I mean, Jesus just saves. He paid it all. He paid the price. And and once we respond to his offer of salvation, he and he alone saves us. But most cases, once he saves one of us, the very next step begins to involve other people. This, this process of growth, this new birth, I'm telling you, God tends to bring that, that new believer right to the door of the church, and that's where you and I come in. God then begins to involve us. I'm gonna play a really key part in the person you become in Christ, and you're gonna become a really key part of the person I'm becoming in Christ. This is just how it works. So once Jesus saves somebody, he's then probably going to involve somebody just like me or somebody just like you, somebody just like Ananias. Ananias is a common name. As a matter of fact, last Sunday we read about another Ananias, so don't be confused. That Ananias is still dead. This is another Ananias. It's not an uncommon name. And honestly, Ananias is not an uncommon kind of guy. He's just a man. We know almost nothing about him. I mean, he gets like this episode in the Bible and that's it. I mean, we don't know anything about what he did the next day. But on this particular day, God had a job for him. A, A job. Now, Ananias is an ordinary believer in the city of Damascus. And we don't know a lot about the Christians in Damascus. We don't really even know how they got there. But already in this early phase of the spread of the gospel, there are believers as far away as Damascus. That's pretty exciting. We don't know how they got there, but, but Ananias is one of them. He's one of them. Which tells us one thing about him, and that is this guy named Saul has a warrant for Ananias's arrest. Don't miss that. Saul is on his way to Damascus to take care of guys like Ananias. And Ananias has heard of Saul. Saul's getting pretty famous. And Saul is a man to be feared. And a man you do not want to meet if you're a new believer. Do you see that? And so God one day speaks to Ananias and says, Ananias, there's this man named Saul. And then God starts explaining Saul to Ananias like Ananias doesn't know who Saul is. But Ananias says, no, wait, Lord, I I know about Saul. I've heard about Saul. And then Ananias starts telling God about Saul like God doesn't know who Saul is. You see this happening? Ananias starts saying, well, no, you, you may not have heard this part, God, but let me just tell you that, that, that Saul is a, a really bad guy. He does terrible things. Now, Lord, no, he does terrible things. And, and I've heard about what he's done in Jerusalem, and I know he's on his way here to do the same kinds of terrible things. So, Lord, if you haven't heard that part, just let me fill you in. Amazing. God says, yeah, Ananias, I, I, I know that Saul. But I also know a Saul that you don't know nothing about. I know that right now he's praying to me. And I know that in a vision I've already told him that you're going to come and see him. St. Ananias, go see him. Could you do that? Could you do that? You have heard that Saul is on his way to your town to arrest Christians. Could you go to him and and, and go see him first? Before he finds you, could you go find Saul? Could you do that? It's really a rather rather amazing moment, but, but I want you to see it because it says something important about the church. Ananias believes in Jesus enough to believe in Saul. And that's what the church looks like. This is what the church looks like. Ananias knows everything that Saul used to be, but he understands the gospel enough to know that the gospel is about the promise of change. And if the gospel can change Ananias and the gospel can change Saul, do you understand? Ananias believes Jesus enough to believe in, in Saul. It takes a great risk. It takes a tremendous risk to go to Saul. Saul is a persecutor. Saul is one who has put in chains men just like Ananias, but Ananias has to take that risk. It could be that Saul has not changed. It could be that by the time Ananias gets to Saul, Saul's going to change his mind because Saul has been Saul for a long, long time, full time every day. And now Ananias has to take this chance that maybe Saul is really going to change. That he's going to meet a Saul that nobody else has ever seen in the world. A Saul that now loves Jesus. What? A Saul that now loves Jesus. And Ananias is willing to take that risk. I don't know how Ananias pulls this together. I don't. But all I know is by the time Ananias gets to Saul, he walks right up to Saul. And what's the first word out of his mouth? Brother. Brother Saul. If you can look into the face of a persecutor and see the face of a brother... That's the gospel at work, and that's exactly what the church is like. Do you understand this? Everyone, everyone deserves a chance to change. And as the body of Christ, as the people of Jesus, we have to be willing to give people a chance to change. We have to believe that Jesus can change people, all people, anybody, anywhere, any place. Everybody deserves a chance to change. It's a small town, a small church, tiny church. There's a church lady in that little church, as good as they come, just a good lady. she'd been a widow for years. Good lady. she's faithful, she just loved the Lord. And, and after losing her husband, the only person she had in the whole world was a daughter a A wild daughter I mean as wild as they come as good a church lady as her mama was her daughter was as wild and since the church lady didn't have anybody but her church friends church people she'd asked for prayer for her daughter weekly every year for years and years and years I mean the whole church had prayed for this daughter and, and as a result of praying they'd heard a lot of stories about this girl I mean, a whole lot of stories. And y'all don't understand. I mean, I don't want to scare you good church people with the stories that you could be telling about people out there. But this wild girl lived all of them. I mean, the church people heard like the shoplifting story and the pregnancy scare story. And the church people heard the story about when she and her boyfriend were drunk and got in a fight and she ran over the guy with a car. I mean, the church, people heard that story. They heard the story about the time she faked being pregnant to try to get the married man to come. I mean, it was just awful. And all of the stories about all of the times that woman was in and out of rehab, in and out of rehab, and never, ever, not once got clean. I mean, in and out of every rehab everywhere. Well, her mama died. The church lady died. And in the same way that the only person that the church said they had was her daughter, honestly, the only woman that the daughter ever had was her mama, even though she broke her heart. So at the funeral, the funeral, the preacher had an opportunity to talk to this daughter like he never had before. Long story short, that, that daughter came to Jesus at the funeral. And she came to Jesus with one question. She just said, preacher. Do you promise me that Jesus can forgive what I've done? Can can He really forgive what I've done? Yes, Jesus can forgive everything you've done. He will put your sin away as far as the east is from the west. He'll forgive and He'll forget. She came to Jesus. Understand, everybody deserves a chance to change, and this is her chance. Very next Sunday, she came to church and got baptized. Glorious, And I mean, people just said, oh, my goodness, if, if her mama could see this, if, if her mama could see. And Sunday after that, she was in church. And the Sunday after that, she was in church. The Sunday after that, she was not in church. She'd gone. And the Sunday after that, she, she didn't come back to church. And, and it, it worried the pastor, just worried him, because he loved this girl. And he saw her come to Jesus. So he went back out and found her. He said, honey, t- tell me, where have you been? You, you would come to Jesus, you were baptized, you were in church there for several weeks. What's happened? She said, I thought you told me that Jesus would forgive and forget. He said, Jesus does forgive and, and, he, and he does forget. Your, your sins will never be brought up again. Your sins are gone. She said, well, I guess I don't know a lot about Jesus, but I can tell you one thing. I know the people at your church. And they don't forgive and they don't forget. Everyone deserves a chance to change. Where would Saul? Have ever gotten If it weren't for Ananias Later if it weren't for Barnabas Do you remember where you were When Jesus found you? Were there not people who came around you and loved you and believed in you? I mean, they believed in Jesus enough to believe in you. I mean, we see what you are now, but, you know, some of us didn't even know what you were 20 years ago. And if we'd seen you then, we wouldn't believe the person you become now. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, everybody deserves a chance to change. And this is what the gospel presents. Years ago, there's a woman named Joyce Landorf who wrote a book called Balcony People put a link to it on the live event, the balcony people. It's an amazing book. Basically, Joyce Landorf says that there are two kinds of people in the world and definitely two kinds of people in the church. She calls the first group balcony people and the second group basement people. Now, the basement people are kind of the bottom dwellers. Now, the basement people can be saved. I'm not saying they can't. They just don't make very good Christians, to be honest because the basement people are are always there somewhere from below, and and, and they manage to pull you down. This is what they do full-time, 24-7 in their sleep, that they pull people down. Now, they don't necessarily mean to do that. That's just how it turns out, because this is just sort of how they do. They don't necessarily they don't necessarily criticize you. It's always constructive criticism in their minds. They're just trying to tell you what you need to hear. But for some reason, the only thing they ever feel like you need to hear is, 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 is for them to point out what's wrong with you. They sort of live to highlight and emphasize what's wrong. They're sort of there to remind you of all of the ways that you have failed them and all of the ways that you continue to disappoint, that they're basement people and they just pull you down, that they drain your energy, that they will not believe in you because of course you've already disappointed them. So they just sort of pull up a chair so they have a front row seat to the very next disaster in your life. Do you know these people? Do you know what I'm talking about? Unfortunately, churches tend to be full of basement kind of people. They think that they've lived enough that they just understand how the world works. And maybe they do understand how the world works. The problem is they really don't understand how the gospel works. Understand, you believe in God's power to change people. When you lose that, you lose the gospel. When you no longer believe that, that, that people can change, when a new believer walks in the church and, and you begin telling yourself, you know, they'll never change, when you have that son, that daughter, that, that addict that keeps coming back, understand everybody deserves a chance to change, even if they've blown all of their previous chances. Do you understand? One of these times, one of these times the change is going to happen. The problem is you'll never know because it's going to look just like all the other times when the change didn't happen. But you just have to keep believing. You have to just keep investing. You have to believe in God's power to change people. When you lose that, you've lost the gospel. Everybody can change. That's the promise of the gospel. Everybody's past is put away. That is the promise of Jesus. And it needs to be the reality in the church. We need church churches full of people like Ananias. Churches full of people like Barnabas. Who it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Everybody deserves a chance to change. That's the gospel. Basement people don't believe in God's power to change. You're going to be just like your daddy. That's what they tell themselves. I knew your mama. I knew your grandmama. You got the same mouth on you your mama had. you always going to be just like your mama. Yeah, I've seen addicts like you. I know how it is. You, when you get in trouble, you come back. But as soon as you get back on your feet, man, you're going to drink it all away. I'm not going to be a part of that anymore. Understand, They just they know how the world works, but they have no idea how God works. You believe in God's power to change people because when you stop believing that you've lost the gospel. So there's basement people who have none of this. They're the basement people, but just thank God for the balcony people. These are the people in our lives who somehow always are calling us forward, always kind of lifting us up. Man, they, they know our failures. It's not that they're not realistic. They understand failure, but they also understand how people can change. And they'll continue to be there ready for you with a word of encouragement. I mean, the whole world lines up to knock people down, but there aren't a whole lot of people there who just want to lift people up. That they're the balcony people. Understand? They're the ones who cheer you on. Somehow they're always on your side. That does not mean that they enable you. They're on the side of, of change. They're not on the side of making it so that you never have to change. There's a difference. But they understand that this is how the gospel works. This is what the church is for. We're all supposed to be balcony people. We're all supposed to be encouragers. We're supposed to be here when the prodigal comes home with our arms wide open to welcome them. That's what we're supposed to do. Where were you when Jesus found you? On what road were you traveling when the light shone? down on you. Do you remember? What kind of message you created, do you remember? If you'd stayed on that road, if if your life had not changed paths, thank Jesus, where would you be? Where would you be without the gospel? Where would you be without God's power to change? Where would you be? And were there not people who came alongside you and, and, and lifted you up? Were there not people who believed in Jesus enough to believe in you? Were there not people there for you? If, if we're reading Acts with an intention of having what they had, being the kind of church that they were, then we're going to do what they did, Remember? So we need you to be Ananias in somebody's life. Take a look at the new members board in the hallway. Take a look at the adults who we baptized in the last year. There aren't very many. That doesn't speak well for us. But just think back through the, the, the new believers, the, the adults who, who were trying to change. And count on your hand the ones that are still here. Well, what happened? Where did they go? The fact that we don't know speaks horribly for our church. The fact that there was a new birth, the fact that that, that Jesus did his part and, and brought that new creation to the door of the church and the fact that we didn't manage to get our arms around that new believer, that doesn't speak well for our church. So, who is it in your life that you need to lift up? Who who is it that needs a balcony person? I'm telling you that there'll always be somebody there to bring them down. So you don't have to worry about that role not being fulfilled. Somebody will cover that. But there aren't that many people in the world who just want to encourage and lift people up. Who is it in your life who needs that? Who is it in your life that desperately needs to change and is actually trying, or at least trying on some days anyway, that they can't do it by themselves, they can't do it without Jesus, and Jesus probably is going to not do it without you. Do you understand that? You have a part to play in this. So what will you do? I'm talking about this week. Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to go find? Who needs to hear you say that you still believe in them, that that you're still praying for them, that you're still rooting for them? Who needs to hear you say that? It might be somebody in your own family. It might be somebody that you used to see at church and they've just disappeared and you're wondering what happened. What happened is that we didn't do a very good job of, of, of bringing them to the Lord. We didn't do a very good job of giving them the nurture they needed so that they could grow. But we can do that. We can do that. But Ananias didn't know the Apostle Paul. He knew Saul the persecutor. But when he laid eyes on Saul the persecutor, he said, Brother Saul. He he saw the face of a brother. He baptized him. He baptized Saul, y'all. He baptized Saul. The apostle Paul. Man, he's just an ordinary guy who believed in Jesus enough to believe in Saul. And God uses this ordinary guy in his great plan to change the world. everybody deserves a chance to change. You believe in God's power to change people. When we lose that, we lose everything. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know how you've changed me. Lord, it's not so much that I had the, 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 the big testimony of crime. That's not who I was. But I also know, Lord, I know what I'm capable of. And I know the man I would be if I were not somehow led by your spirit. I, I know what I could be. I know what I'm capable of. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace that makes me a different kind of man. Lord, most of us in this house, many in the sound of my voice, Lord, we know the difference that you've made in our lives, and we can remember the people who encouraged us, the people who somehow would look at us and see something different, that they continued to believe in something better, even though we hadn't shown them anything better yet. We just remember the people who just looked at us and saw us as some sort of spiritual giant while we were still spiritual dwarves. There were people who lifted us up and encouraged us and and invested in us and took a great risk on the simple gospel, Lord. And their friendship, their fellowship, their encouragement changed the course of our lives, Lord Jesus. We want to be those people now for others. Lord, the world is filled with people who desperately need to know that there's a power to change. That there are people who are trapped in sin and trapped in guilt and tied, Lord, paralyzed by their past, Lord. They just need to know that there's freedom in Jesus' name. So Lord, I pray that as a church, we can be that church, Lord. Not that tears people down, not that discourages people, not that sits back and, and, and waits for people to, to fall away, but Lord, we're the people who lean forward and reach out and lift up. Lord, will you make us to be those people? Lord, every man, woman in this house today, Lord, in the cafe, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you will burn right now into our minds the face of that person who desperately needs to hear something from us, who needs to hear a word of encouragement, who needs to feel our hand on their shoulder, Lord. There's somebody who needs us to be that balcony person for them. Will you help us, Lord? to believe in the gospel and believe in your power enough, Lord, to want to believe in the people around us, Lord, that they could yet change, that they could yet find their feet, that they could have a better life. Help us, Lord, to believe you. Help us, Lord, to believe in others. Help us, Lord, to share the gospel of power with those who desperately need to hear a word about power. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, but for the sake of those we love. Amen.